Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. my message today is, I need you to agree. I need you to agree. You ever had somebody in your life that you, you know, they, they were one of your friends and they were really into something and they talked about it all the time and you weren't sure if you wanted to tell them that you were not into that thing because you thought it would change the relationship, but you worked up the courage and you went ahead and admitted, like, I'm not really into that. And you talk about it all the time. And then you were right. It was weird after that. It was really weird, and it harmed the relationship. And I think we all have these moments in our lives. I had this guy um, who's still a, a good friend of mine, fortunately, who uh, got really into UFC. And it was, like, all he could talk about. And uh, he was like, man, I, like, all the UFC fights, and they were the big fights coming up. And he would always just say, the fight's coming up. And I would like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? The last time I watched a fight, it was out behind the bike racks. You know what I mean? Uh, when I was a kid. And I've never really been into fighting. And he'd always talk about it. You got to come. You got to come to the fight. And we're all going to get together for the fight. And let's, let's hang out for the fight. You got to come to the fight. And uh, finally, I was just like, I, I'm never going to come to the fight. But I, don't, I just don't like it. And he's like, what? This is what he said. He goes, what? You have to. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't have to like anything. And he's like, no, it's so good. You just give it a chance. It's so awesome. I'm like, I've given it a chance. I, I really don't want to watch people beat each other senseless. Um, I'm more kind of like a, a, a read a book by a fire kind of guy. You know what I mean? Uh, not watch two people beat each other to a pulp uh, over a beer kind of guy. And I think that's great. And I love that you love that. And I love hearing about it. And I like your enthusiasm but I'm probably never gonna do it. And he's like, but you will, you will, you got to. And I'm like, no, I won't, and I don't got to. And it was like, he couldn't let it go. It was like, he was just convinced that like, we have to sync up on this thing. And once he finally realized like I was not gonna cave, he's like, well, I guess we'll never be friends. Which was weird, because I was like, I kinda thought we already were friends. So that <laughs> kinda caught me off guard a little bit. Um, but what he was meaning was like, man, I I'm really into this thing. And I, I thought that you were too. And I, I think if we're going to be friends, like we have to have these commonalities. And I think this is where friendship or relationships and even family connections get complicated um, is so many of our connections are built on, you know, common uh, activities that we enjoy, common preferences, common opinions. And so what happens when those things diverge? And maybe you've had this moment where you learned something about someone that they did not like the thing that you liked, and there was a part of you in the back of your mind that was just like, man, I, I guess we're probably not going to be all that close because that's a big part of who I am. Now, some differences, I think, are easier to overlook than others, right? If you have somebody who's just like, I don't like Mexican food. For some of you, like, that's a deal breaker, okay? How could they, right? Others of you are like, that's cool. I'm still gonna like it. We'll just go to a different sort of a restaurant when we're together. No big deal. It can be overlooked. But there are other things in our lives that we feel like I need you to agree on this with me in order for us to be close. Like I need you to share my opinion. I need you to agree with me. And we can find ourselves in this place. And in fact, 
like this is just sort of the normal way that people are. Like if something is a big deal to you, you naturally want it to be a big deal to the people that you are close to. And some things, in fact, are such a big deal to us, they become so enmeshed with our identity that not liking it can feel the same as someone not liking you. And in fact, I think this is even especially in the last 10 years become a full-on cultural phenomenon where many people in our culture really buy into this idea that if you don't like what I like, you don't like me, right? If you don't agree with like every opinion I have, every decision I make or every action I take, you don't respect me and therefore we can't be in any sort of a relationship. And I gotta tell you that like if you come off this way, what it actually ends up doing is incentivizing dishonesty in other people. Because what they learn in interactions with you is that expressing differences equals disconnection. In other words, like if I wanna be close to you, I have to deny a big part of me. And so it puts us in this place where we feel like we have to choose between actually having community and actually being honest about the way we think, about what we like, about um, our opinions and preferences about things. Now, some of you, when you hear this, you're like, uh uh-oh, because you are this person. And others of you are like, I can't wait to share this message because I grew up with this person. Okay, I grew up underneath this person. And if you did, you likely learned to just go with the flow, right? To keep your thoughts to yourselves because disagreeing with them never went well for you. In fact, it made things worse. It resulted in you being judged or mocked or abandoned or ignored. You learned that the relationship with them was conditional on you keeping your mouth shut. But likely, if you grew up in this sort of an environment, it wasn't just your thoughts that were problematic, your feelings were too. Because there was something about that dynamic where they couldn't handle your sadness, your disappointment, your anger, your frustration, your insecurity. Maybe you grew up in an environment where it felt like the only safe emotion was happiness and the only safe expression was a smile. Because emotions weren't seen as helpful information to be experienced and identified and examined, but problems to be controlled, restrained, and eliminated. And because of that, you didn't receive any tools to process yours or anyone else's feelings, and so you learned to just sort of stuff them down and just pray they go away. God, if you really loved me, you'd change my opinion. You'd change my feelings. You'd make all the anger go away. And being able to do this, I think in a lot of ways, probably enabled you to survive. But it's also probably made it difficult for you to deeply connect with other people. Because in your mind, whether you consciously understand this or not, disclosure feels dangerous. But here's the problem with this. Everything that you push down ends up coming back up. Have you noticed this? And it often ends up coming back up at really inconvenient times in really inconvenient ways that sort of propels you to say and do things that you're never really proud of. It's usually never like, man, I'm so glad I pushed that down because the weird way it came out when I had two drinks at that wedding, (laughs) 
oh man, I feel like that is the way I wanted that out there. Not usually. And if any of this stuff that I'm talking about feels uncomfortably familiar to you, you are not alone. In fact, it is a common family cycle that has been going on since the beginning of time. Since the book of Genesis, right, the origins of our story and our faith. And, and that's what I want to do. I want to unpack this story that takes place in this family in which this dynamic exists and all of the havoc it reaps. It's in Genesis chapter 37. This is where it starts, verse 2. It says this, When Joseph was 17, he worked for his half-brothers and reported to his father some of the bad things they were doing. And his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So just to recap, Joseph is a little tattletale, and his brothers hate him. But they don't hate him because he's a tattletale, not necessarily. They hate him for another reason altogether, one that they don't really talk about as a family. And the reason is this, that their father, Jacob, likes Joseph more than everybody else. And he never talks about it. Like, he would never say that out loud, but he makes it obvious in his behavior. And so Joseph's brothers are all angry at their dad about his favoritism of this one son. But instead of having a conversation with their dad about it, instead they choose to just torture his favorite when he's not around. And the reason they do this is because nobody in this family has direct conversations about anything. And they don't have direct conversations about anything because honest conversations are unsafe in this family. And I don't mean just like physically, because there are more than one type of safety. And I want to just unpack this a little bit before we dive back into the story. There is, when we think of safety, we typically think of physical safety, right? But there is physical safety, mental safety, emotional safety, and even spiritual safety. So what do these things mean? Physical safety is where you're not afraid of being hit or shoved or having your body disrespected in any way. That's physical safety. And a lot of us think like, if the environment in my home or my workplace or my neighborhood is physically safe, then it's safe. But that's just one of four key components. The second is mental safety, which is where you're not afraid of being humiliated or ridiculed for sharing your thoughts. That once you say like, well, I was kind of thinking this, they're like, that's dumb. Is that really what you think? That's stupid. Only idiots think that, only whatever. And there's just, you're, you're hit with sarcasm, torn down. That thought is not welcome here. Then there's emotional safety, which is where you're not afraid of having your true feelings discounted or dismissed. Where when you say like, that kind of hurt my feelings, it's like, you're, that's because you're a baby. And that's stupid for you to get hurt over that. It wouldn't hurt me. That's because I'm part robot. <laughs> so what's wrong with you, right? And so we just push that stuff down. And then there's spiritual safety where you're not afraid to question your faith or engage in spiritual practices together. And some of you, as you are listening to or reading these definitions, you're like, wow, I'm just realizing for the first time I grew up in a pretty unsafe family. Okay, so thanks for that. But I also want you to notice what doesn't make this list. Disagreements, differences of opinion, discussions, and even debate. These things can happen in a very safe way and should. In fact, people in a healthy relationship, 
don't necessarily agree on everything, but they feel safe and secure enough to share anything. This is the mark of a healthy, safe, secure relationship. And some of you, you experience the exact opposite. You grew up in your home with all of these unspoken rules of certain things that you just did not talk about it. You didn't even talk about the fact that you don't talk about it. That was part of the code. You just didn't. And everybody knew it. And in fact, that's what made it tense when somebody brought like a new boyfriend or girlfriend home. It was like, I hope they don't bring it up and make it weird for everybody because they don't know the rules yet. In this family, we don't talk about dad's drinking. We pretend that it doesn't happen. We don't talk about mom's secret credit card. We don't talk about the constant yelling that happens when there's nobody else over. We don't talk about how one person's mental illness in our family is affecting the whole rest of the family. These things we just push down and push aside. This is Joseph's family, by the way. But he sort of breaks the code. He breaks it because he has this dream and he decides he's gonna share it with his family And their reaction is the exact reason no one in this family shares anything real. You ever had that thing of like, oh man, I shouldn't share this because then it would be bad. And other people are like, that's crazy, that wouldn't happen. And I'm sure that's what he thought, except it did happen. And this is how it went for him. Genesis chapter 37, verse five. One night Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him more than ever. Joseph had another dream. Verse 10, this time he told his father as well. And his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? His brothers were jealous of Joseph, but his father wondered what the dreams meant. So again, in this family, every time this kid shares what he really thinks and feels, his family doesn't just disagree with him, they hate him for it. That's a lot for a kid to carry around. And it happens because his brothers are jealous of him And his dad just doesn't understand him. And some of you are like, can I get a witness? Uh, Yeah, I, that sounds a lot like a story that I know and have lived. But of course, nobody says this out loud. And this is something that is so interesting as you read through this story as a piece of literature. All the internal monologue of what's going on with people for most of the story comes from the narrator. Because these people, again, they don't actually have real conversations about what is going on with them with each other. They communicate through cryptic, passive aggression, not honest conversation. It says this in verse 12, that soon after, Joseph's brothers went away to work and his father said, get ready and I'll send you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. (laughs) Because he just, he didn't understand what was going on. But when his brothers saw him coming, they made plans to kill him. Like every time I read this, it makes me so sad because Joseph is so excited to go visit these people that he thinks love him, but they all wish he was dead. And he doesn't know. He doesn't get it. He's never like really figured that out inside of his family. He has no idea how much they hate him. And I think sometimes we think like, I don't need to tell my family like what's going on with me and how the things they do and their behavior makes me feel because they can tell. And I just gotta tell you, 
Not if they grew up in the same dysfunctional family you did. They probably can't tell. I think Joseph's brothers thought he understood how much they hated him. And he was like, hey, guys, I came for a visit. We're all family. And they're like, let's kill this kid. <laughs> you see, most people are way horrible, like so much worse at guessing what you were thinking and feeling than you think they ought to. And I think a lot of times we go through life just being like, you know, the people in my life, they should just know. And I think that this is actually um, more the case the longer we know someone. Like, because we're like, we've been married 15 years. Certainly he knows what I'm thinking. He has no idea. He has no clue. He doesn't know what's going on. Certainly she would be able to figure out how I'm feeling right now. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. Right? Because um, people cannot see inside of your head and heart. And a lot of times we hold other people responsible to treat us according to our own thoughts, even though those thoughts are locked up inside of our own selves and they've never come out. So there's nothing for them to interact with. When I read this story, I always wonder like, why would Joseph's dad even send him in this environment? And I think part of it is because he knows there's tension, right? But I think he dismisses it like it's not a big deal. Like they're brothers, brothers fight. It'll blow over. It's not like they're gonna kill him. Whoops. Uh, and they don't. They don't technically kill him. They just beat him half to death and sell him into slavery, which I think is kind of worse in some ways. It says this in verse 31. Then the brothers killed a goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, and they sent it to their father. Look what we found. Doesn't this belong to your son? Not our brother, your son. Because we hate that kid. We're not going to take ownership of him. And then the father's like, yes, a wild animal must have eaten him. And his family all tried to comfort him, but their father refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then weep uncontrollably. So that would have been fun at every family function for the rest of your life. And this is what happens, right? Instead of taking any accountability, these brothers make up an elaborate story and their dad is just beside themselves himself, and, and they try and comfort him, right? They're just like, we're so sorry that this happened. We know you're really torn apart. How can we help? And he's just like, you can't help. I'll be sad forever. And they're like, I know it's a lot, but like the 11, uh, there's still 11 of us here. And he's like, but you guys suck. He was the only one I liked. <laughs> they're like, this kind of backfired. We thought if we got rid of him, maybe there'd be more love for us. And now... He's just sitting around pouting that he's stuck with us and doesn't have him. And hopefully, like, your story in your life isn't this extreme. But I do want to ask you this. Do you feel safe and secure enough with your family to reveal your deepest thoughts and feelings without fear? Like, when you express uh, an, an opposing opinion, like, when you... When everyone's talking about something and you're like, well, actually, I think this. Are you met with someone who pauses in that moment, gives you their full attention, 
Their posture's open and unintimidating. They listen without interruption and ask clarifying questions. They, you get the sense that they really want to understand. When your emotions rev up, they sort of soften and step back and validate what you're feeling. They know when to lean in and give you a hug or like a, a pat on the shoulder. When you're overwhelmed, they, they, they give you a, 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 an out to take a break and gather your thoughts. When they fumble a moment, which still sometimes happen, they always circle back around and apologize. Is that what it's like? Some of you are thinking like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> that is not how I grew up at all. This sounds like an episode of Care Bears. I don't know... <laughs> what you were describing right now because I've never experienced it. I was met with someone who wouldn't look me in the eye and their arms were folded and their body language was closed and they'd immediately get defensive or combative and they'd yell or give me the silent treatment. Sometimes it was a mix of both. And whenever I was really sincere, I was met with sarcasm in return. They'd either walk away disappointedly or tower over me intimidatedly. And afterwards, they were either angry and distant or acted as if they somehow didn't even remember we had that huge fight. And I'm still not sure which was worse. Some of our families weren't safe. And, and the reason I bring this up now is that some of our families aren't safe. Others of us, we're under the impression that our family is safe because it's safe for us. But it's only safe for us. And in fact, it is us who've made it unsafe for everyone else. And then we end up feeling like outsiders, the rest of us in our own homes because of it. I think this is a heavy place to find yourself. What if this right here was true of you and you didn't even know it? You're like, sure, everybody is free in our family to say whatever they think and feel. And in reality, only you are able to say whatever you think and feel. And everyone else is just telling you what you want to hear. Would you want to know if this was true? That's a big question. What would happen if you did this? And this is my challenge to you this week. What would happen if, if you went home and you asked everyone in your family, is there anything about me that makes you feel like you can't be open and honest with me? What would happen if you went home and did that? And if you did that, do you think you would be able to resist being defensive if they told you something you did not wanna hear? Because you're like, I'll totally do that. I know what they're gonna say. And then they don't say that thing. They say something else that you didn't wanna hear. Are you gonna prove with your actions in that moment why they're intimidated by you? Or are you gonna soften and begin to tell a different story? I think some of you would be shocked by the responses because your family doesn't feel loved by you as much as they're afraid of you. And you don't get it because you don't see yourself as an intimidating person. In your mind, you're like, I would never physically hurt these people. And that is really good, but what about their mental safety and their emotional safety and their spiritual safety? Because this is what love does. Love cultivates safety. This is what we're met with in scripture over and over again. In fact, one New Testament writer says it this way, 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives away fear because fear has to do with being punished. And maybe when you read this verse, you're like, okay, but like, what punishment are we talking about? Like, what punishment does real Christ-centered love begin to drive out of our lives and our families if we actually base our lives on him? And I think the punishment that we're afraid of, that everyone is afraid of, whether it is interpersonally or cosmically, is banishment. It's this sense of like, if I were to disagree with you, you'd be done with me. And the thought of that is so painful that I'd rather settle for being accepted for who I'm not than risk being rejected for who I really am. And so we just go along. And I think what is sad about this is, in reality, those who are striking fear in the hearts of their family are really only recycling something that's been done to them. And that's what makes it ultimately sad. I think when we look at this story here, Joseph, in his story, the dad, Jacob, is the bad guy. He plays favorites and pushes his kids' buttons and makes it unsafe to be vulnerable, which creates a lot of pain and bitterness and insecurity and a murder plot. But here's what's crazy. If you rewind his life, the dad in this story, his dad did the exact same thing to him with the same exact results. His brother tried to kill him when he was a kid. Because the reality of it is, anything a parent doesn't address in themselves, they'll pass to their kids. And some of you are like, whoo, glad I don't have kids. (laughs) And if that's where you're at, I gotta tell you, me too. Because now is the perfect time to address your issues. Your kids may never even know that version of you. If you begin to address it right now. Because the reality of it is, if you didn't grow up in a safe and secure environment, you won't know how to create one. You're gonna have to learn what that even is and then how to do it. And you're gonna need a lot of help from your church family to make that happen. What are we even talking about? Uh, Let me give you just some definitions of these two words. Security is essentially this. It's believing that you can count on someone to be with and for you when you need them and respond to you in a way that looks out for your best interests, not just theirs. That's what it is to feel secure in a relationship. Safety is believing that you are unconditionally loved and accepted and that you have room to grow by making mistakes without experiencing aggression, retaliation, or ostracization. In other words, feeling safe and secure means you don't have to be self-conscious. You don't have to constantly watch your back. You don't have to walk on eggshells. You are free to be who you actually are, warts, quirks, opinions, piercings, and all. It was just for my mom. I don't know if she's listening. And I think when you hear that, maybe some of you are like, oh, okay, cool. So just ignore the fact that you've been really, really hurt by people and just openly, open-heartedly move toward everyone all the time. No, that's a stupid thing to do. Don't do that. In fact, I think the, the, some of the best advice comes from the book of Proverbs 
chapter four, verse 23. I'm gonna read this in the message translation. It says this, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. In other words, this is what the wisdom writer is telling us. Don't allow your open heart to take ongoing abuse and don't allow past hurts to completely close you off. Like both of those things aren't going to help you. And most of us, I think, tend to err on one side or the other. We either struggle to set any boundaries whatsoever or we just completely shut everyone out. And neither of these things are a good idea. In fact, a healthy heart isn't permanently propped open or dead bolted shut. It's vigilantly monitored. In other words, it is open and closed as needed. And I, I, when I think about this concept and this story, I think like how shut down do you think Joseph's heart would have been? Even beyond the stuff that happened with his brothers, like after that, he gets sold into slavery. Then he gets, he gets acu- like falsely accused of something and he gets thrown in prison for a long period of time. But, but God watches over him and eventually pulls him out and elevates him. And decades later, during a drought in which people in surrounding countries are starving, guess who comes begging for food? His brothers. It says this in Genesis chapter 42, verse seven. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Some of you are like, that is what I'm talking about. That's what I would do. That, this is what you would expect. They hurt him, now he's gonna hurt them back. <clears throat> no one would blame him for reacting this way after all that he'd been through, especially considering that that is how all of life worked in his family during his formative years. But then the story takes a turn. In chapter 45, verse one, it says this, Joseph could stand it no longer. Come closer, he said, and they did. I am your brother, whom you sold into slavery, but don't be angry with yourselves for what you did to me. God sent me here to preserve your lives. And this is what I think is amazing about this. Joseph breaks his own family's unhealthy cycle. He lets his guard down and he vulnerably tells them the truth. They don't do this in this family. There's no record of them doing this in this family. This is the first time. And the thing that is beautiful about what Joseph does, like in chapters 42 all the way through 45, he tells the whole truth. Not just the positive parts of the truth, the painful parts of the truth too. He essentially tells them in a series of speeches like, you hurt me. You really hurt me. It really messed me up for a long time. And at the same time, I really care about you. I want a relationship with you. And yes, I'm a person, so I do want you to feel bad about what you did. But I also, I don't want you to beat yourself up over it constantly. I want us to be okay. Joseph allowed his heart to reopen slowly to his family despite what they'd done to him, and it did not come naturally. He chose it. 
And I gotta tell you, living in alignment with Christ, it's gonna require us to elevate our values over our feelings and impulses. Because there are gonna be moments in relationships where your feelings and impulses are telling you to treat someone at this base animalistic way. And God is pressing you and saying, you are not just, you are not just your animal instincts. You were made in my image. There is more to you than just that. And I have set out for you values that will lead you to life to the full and it is not gonna be easy. But if you wanna follow me, you're gonna have to choose one over the other and you will wrestle through this your entire life. And Joseph does. And I gotta tell you, like, when someone has hurt you bad enough to, you know, sort of shut you down, you really can't open your heart to them, not on your own. And if that's where you think this is going, I just wanna, like, set you free. Of like, oh, man, that horrible thing. If you really love God, you just reopen your heart to them. And I don't think that that's great advice. In fact, I don't think that's what Scripture is telling us to do. Instead, I think what Scripture tells us to do is focus on opening your heart to God and inviting him to give you wisdom in your relationship with them. Because here's what's happened. When we're relationally wounded, we lock the door of our heart. And it's not just those people who can't get in. No one gets in, including God. And some of us, in an effort to lock them out, have locked God out. And I don't think it's wise to just open the door to them. I think what God is saying is open the door to me. And here they come, close it back up. I'm gonna have to do some work on the inside of your house before you can actually have the strength and the wisdom to know how to even handle them. But don't let that moment destroy our relationship and all of these other beautiful relationships that I want to gift you with. And I imagine that that is what Joseph spent hours alone with God wrestling through way before his brothers showed up. This question that I think you have to wrestle with too. Am I going to give those around me what I got or fight to give them something better? Because your natural tendency is going to be to give the people in your family your close friends, the people that you're in close relationship with, that person that you just started dating, you're likely to just recreate what you grew up in even though you hated it. I don't think there's any part of Jacob who was like, you know what, when I was a kid, it was the worst that my dad loved my brother more. I'll never do that to anyone. It really crushed me. And then like I did some shady things because I was mad at him and then he tried to kill me for several years. That was horrible. I have an idea. Why don't I do that to my kids so they hate their lives too? That's not the way people think. We just automatically fall into the pattern and give out what we got. And this is the calling of the gospel is to say, give other people something better than what you got from them because you got something better from God. Give to them out of what he has given you and what he's done for you and how safe and secure he has made you, not based on what they've done to you. Because if we treat other people based on how they treat us, then it's gonna be a lot of retaliation constantly. 
But Jesus takes things a step further and says, don't treat people just how they've treated you. Treat people how I have treated you. And that's way better. And so if we wanted to give our families and our relationships something better, how would we do that? And this is the, the slide you may want to take a picture of because you're probably not going to be able to write all this down. But these are the four things that I would suggest. When someone is brave enough to share something with you about what they're really going through, their real opinion, their real thoughts, their real feelings, especially if it's something that is really not what you were hoping for, especially if it doesn't match the way that you think, especially if you're caught off guard and surprised, to begin by, number one, trying to identify their feelings. And this is just a great like starter kit question for that. What are you feeling right now? Sometimes when my kids are going through crazy stuff, I ask a question. My parents didn't really have the tools to know to ask me when I was like a really, really emo kid. <laughs> it was just like, man, I, I don't like your behavior. Fix it. There was never an accompanying question of like, okay, whoa, whoa, hold on. What are you feeling right now? That would have unlocked a whole bunch of stuff that would have changed everything. And if you're just trying to address behaviors without actually getting access to the feelings underneath, the behaviors will keep repeating themselves over and over and over again. The second thing I would say is this, to seek to understand their feelings. Like, here's a great question for that. Like, where do you think that's coming from? I'm so angry about this. And where do you think that's coming from? This is a way of training people to actually have emotional intelligence, to be able to identify something they're feeling and figure out where that feeling is coming from. And what is crazy is when you actually begin to train the people in your life how to do this, they are able to connect the dots that they've never been able to connect before, to sit with them in that moment and help them do that. The third thing is this, to genuinely care about their feelings. And this is the place that you hope to be able to get to, that you ask so many follow-up questions and you get so much inside of their perspective that you're able to say, man, if I were you and that happened to me, I might feel and react the same way. You know what we typically do? You're being crazy right now. You're insane. I would never do that. Well, you're also not them. You haven't had their experiences. You don't have their personality. Slowing down and asking enough questions and trying to understand them to the point where you can actually care about and validate how they're feeling. You know what's crazy? Sometimes behaviorally, when you're able to get access to what the person is feeling and why, like where it's coming from, and you are able to care about it, sometimes the behavior corrects itself because the behavior is trying to get attention in order to get validation for what I'm feeling. And then the last thing is to support them in taking back control of their story. How can I help? And what I mean by this is it's not your job to fix somebody else's life, but you are there to come alongside of them and do whatever you can to empower them to partner with God, to start taking control of the things they can control and trusting him with the rest. And sometimes it's just a little boost. Like, man, I can't do this and I feel like whatever. What if I helped you on this first little part and got you going in that direction? Do you think that would give you enough stamina, enough 
empowerment to begin to move and go in the direction that God would have you to. I think all these things can be summarized in something James, the brother of Jesus says that is so brilliant in terms of the people that you are close to and actually getting to the heart of what they're going through. James chapter one, verse 19, he says this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I can't help but wonder this, what would have happened if Joseph's family would have done this? Would have done this by essentially carrying out the four suggestions that I just gave you. They have a totally different story. They have a totally different experience. In fact, if that would have happened in Jacob's family when he was a kid, it wouldn't have even have rippled out into the next generation. And that is the true gift that you get to give. This is something I think a lot about as a parent. My parents, I really do believe, loved me and did the best they could. And also, they messed me up a little bit. And I'm probably doing the same thing to my kids. I'm doing the best I can, but I'm also messing up a little bit. But let's make new mistakes with our kids than were made on us. I think there's something beautiful in recognizing that you did not get what you needed and making a decision in your own heart, in your own soul, not just to pass on the same hurt automatically that you have been wrestling through your entire adult life, but to because of the power of Jesus, you get to give them something better. You get to treat them not the way your parents treated you and your siblings treated you and your cousins treated you. You get to treat them how Jesus treats you. And when we fight to do that, that's what changes the world. What if your family could be a safe place where not everybody agreed, but you could actually say what you really think and feel. You could have an honest conversation and know that you are safe and secure, that you will be loved and not banished because of a thought or a feeling. For some of you, it would revolutionize everything about your life. And I wanna pray that into your life today. I think that you can pull this off, but not without God's help. Would you bow your heads across this room this morning? Allow me just to pray this over you. God, I'm so grateful for your love and grace and mercy in each of our lives. God, we are so fortunate to have been given life and then told how to live that life to the full. Every single person in here, everything wasn't idyllic for us. Some of us have experienced things that were more extreme than others, but every single one of us have needs that we grew up being unmet, have fears that we still wrestle with, have dysfunctions that we carry around with us. And God, I pray that we would be able to reflect you a God who tells us to bring everything that is going on with us to you because you will not ridicule or reject us. You will open your arms to us. You will love us and validate us. You will invite us in and you will point us down a better path. God, I pray that we would be people 
who live your way in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God, that you would begin to change family destinies that have been passing the same broken system down for generations. God, that you would begin something new today because of these people choosing to treat those in their life like you treat them. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.